the future of photography. Hey, and welcome back to the future of photography. I'm Chris, I'm back, and uh, Adrian, Imar, Jeremiah are here as well. Hello. Hi. -o. Hey. Hi. <sighs> so we were recording welcome back, this. Chris. Thank you, thank you. I missed you. I missed you. Um, we're recording this on the 14th of November, 2020. Any news? Anything happened since last uh, episode? There was there was a thing Possible. about a Mac event, wasn't there? That I'm that that's got me intrigued. There's got to be a TFOP angle on that somewhere. You know, I was yeah. thinking about that because they were they were harping on about how the the. Um, the FaceTime camera, the one at the top of the display, how that's so much better. But they're still putting 720p cameras in there. They still haven't upgraded the so, resolution on those. I don't so, get so it. So can I ask, right, why do people get in such a fuss about a 720p webcam? Why would you want to send any more than that over okay. the web? <laughs> yeah. what, is, what is the deal there? It's like, it's just, what? oh, I've no, got no, a 4K no. webcam. Oh, big deal. Well, what are you sending me right now? You have a, a Lumix. Yeah, but up? I'm not using no, the Panasonic? FaceTime camera no. in my Fuji? Mac, though. So, so I, I'm sending you 1080p, <laughs> probably 25 <laughs> frames or something like that. But that's uh, that's because I don't have. I only have a really cheap converter, and I can't uh -huh. actually uh -huh. decide what to send you. This so. sounds like a lot. Like, why would anybody want a color TV? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Honestly, so, so it's the all thing. About the story. The what thing kind of we ego know? have you got? What kind of ego have you got to have to want a FaceTime camera that's greater than 720p? I have one, one in this. <laughs> I have one in this in this iMac that I'm sitting in front of. Oh, what does uh, that do then? Well, you know, you know what high resolution does in cameras? You you downside you, you you shrink it down, and it's sharper than if you shot it at that low resolution in the first place. So it, there is something about this. And then you squish it and put Definition. it over the web. Yeah. <laughs> Scary. Oh. I'm, I'm not going to tell anyone the, the, bit, the bit rates that you are coming in through um, because they are so low that it yeah. doesn't really matter what cameras we have. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, let's get anyway. into this episode. And uh, this episode, uh, uh, Jeremiah has done some work to prepare that. The title is Fictional Storytelling in Photography. And... Uh, I guess it's kind of right, right down your alley, because don't you? Mm. Isn't that what you do all the time with, well, not just photography, but with uh, film and uh, movies and things? Well, you know, I I try to sp split my time between reality and fantasy. How's that? <laughs> okay, that sounds like <laughs> a great place. Can I come join you? <laughs> <laughs> you are joining me right now. <laughs> Which is this though? Way. Is this the fantasy space or the real <laughs> I space? I haven't decided yet. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this would be part of a um, of an overall view of documentary photography, storytelling, and photography, um, and and split it into, you know, kind of the reality which is photojournalism and um overall documentary as as one approaches um kind of using the camera for uh revelations to you know to the public uh on newsworthy events or emotional events family events that one takes from one's life i thought i would take a slightly different view And and uh, just engage uh, us here and the audience in documentary, non-documentary storytelling or personal 
um, inventions using uh, photography um, and photography's uh, impulse to draw us into something that feels real, feels truthful. That's something that photography seems to have been able to achieve over its, you know, 200 years or 150 years of, of kind of um, expressive uh, technical and, um, and artistic use. Anyway, um, without further ado, I, I, I thought I would just start with a kind of a little run of 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 the history here because um storytelling in a fabulous way uh began really at the advent of photography itself and um i kind of used the uh cottonly fairies i think um that's how you mm. pronounce it um elsie wright shot them francis griffin um they lived near cottonly near bradford and um those of you who are in england know what i'm talking mm -hmm. about um and uh, these are uh, pictures that, that um, caught the eye of Arthur Conan Doyle. And he illustrated an article on fairies, and he commissioned these in 1920. And, and Doyle, as we may know, he was a spiritualist, um, which, which... Like many people back view, then. Yeah, I just, I just put it down to um, enormous amounts of laudanum. <laughs> <laughs> certainly something about that, yes. <laughs> Absent. Wasn't that more Coleridge? No, well, the, the whole uh, pregraphialites, all of those, uh, they, they, were, they were big consumers of laudanum, which is an opiate, and um, uh, created some really wonderful things. And uh, I encourage people to actually um, explore some of these things because they, they appear to be real images of children uh, surrounded by real fairies. Um, um, as kind of uh, history moves on and, and the next controversial uh, images that I pointed out is Matthew Brady, who's a very, very famous war photographer, um, shot a tremendous amount in Civil War, and his pictures are, in a way, a, a, a memory for us collectively. But he was discovered to have um, manipulated um, objects, bodies, moving them around to create a more dynamic uh, image, um, and that kind of um, kind of position in terms of the kind of war photography. Um, there was a uh, a woman, Gladys Cockburn uh, Lang, who was a, a evidently supposed to be the widow of a deceased British photographer, who made these incredible uh, images of, um, um, you know, dog fights and bodies falling out of plane until, uh, and, and really were very powerfully received uh, in the West. Of course, then people uh, in the 1980s found that they were, they were done using models and, uh, you know, totally manufactured. That, that didn't rob them of the of the impact they had, but they they were manufactured. And later on, um, when we go into the picks of the week, I'm going to draw some attention to that again. Um, I'm going to there's, there's an interesting thing there, isn't there? Because uh, around conflict photography, because the, there's there's a, a a significant number of, of very famous photographs that are always questioned. So, uh, raising the flag on Iwo Jima, that, that's been, that's been questioned, hasn't it? And, Two, uh, yeah. was it Kappa that shot the, what, the, the, the Spanish shot, the soldier yeah. being shot? Yeah. yeah. 
but it, mm. but we don't know. I mean, we still don't know. No, it's uh, still open, and, right? And still open. I mean, I, I think the the idea um, of manipulating images and and how orthodox uh, some um, magazines have become on this subject is you know it's a it's a subject for another. Um, another uh, podcast for us because if you, for example, take a picture of a wild animal leaping and you kind of digitally erase a blade of grass that is blocking an eye, does that seriously change the impact or the moment? Um, I argue not, but uh, if it's touched at all, Oh, um, picture, pictures have it, been removed from from competitions for exactly th that, that because um, it, yes, wasn't, winners it wasn't in the been, rules, you know. That that's it. Oh. So, um, you know, that's a that's a subject for another day. But um, I wanted to bring um, attention to the first time I experienced um, a um, a series of pictures uh, that really had profound uh, impact on my aesthetic. And that's uh, Chris Marker, uh, who made a film in 62 called La Jete. Um, and La Jete is made up completely of film stills or still images. Um, it's a must to look at. Is, sorry, um, isn't every film made? <laughs> on the sense no, there, is, there is actually <laughs> technically no such thing as a moving picture. Uh, yes. Uh <laughs> However, these are done with a still camera, so they're not okay. 24 still images per second to give the illusion of movement, but actually there was no movement, so I parry that. No, I'm, <laughs> with, so, I'm sorry, I response. shouldn't be so <laughs> um, No, please. Some, somebody will comment somewhere, uh, though, won't they? If we don't pick it up ourselves, somebody will comment true, somewhere and true. say we're talking Let's nonsense. point at it. Yeah, well, I do anyway. So I, you know, I'm undefended in that way. But, but it's worth looking at. And, and in the show notes, I posted a YouTube, um, uh, link to, to the film. I have a book of the images, which in so many ways is a great companion, um, uh, because the narration and the mood and the tone, uh, drives the, the kind of feeling of it and the reality of it in one direction. And when you look at the images, on their own, they also tell uh, the same story, but in a different and profound way. So um, that was in 62. Uh, but as the kind of false narratives uh, kind of gained traction with so many artists, I, I, I thought I would just point out a few uh, to discuss uh, some of my favorites, some of my um, some of my influences, and and also some uh, photographers whose work leaves me a little cold uh, emotionally, but technically I I have come to appreciate their work. Um, one who I love dearly is a photographer called David Leventhal, and um, let me let me bring something up here on the screen for those who watch the sure. video. Um, David Leventhal uses toys and small figurines to capture the emotion of combat. And this is a man who straddles a very fine line between recreation and invention. He hides nothing in terms of his uh, statement that he does, in fact, use these. And, and they're, they look like um, models, mannequins, miniatures, toys. And yet 
the images, his composition, both in color and black and white, uh, demonstrate his uncanny photo ability. Um, he is just a, a master. His work, um, is, has become very sought after and is a, I think a, a, a very, very fine artist and worth exploring. Um, there's another, a writer and, and a director, Stephen Leslie, an Englishman. Um, he also uh, works, he has a new book called Sparks, and, and his work, he, he kind of brings a uh, false sense of street photography. A lot of fun. His work is a lot of fun, quite elaborately staged. Obviously, he has a great sense of humor in some <laughs> way, uh, but th these are images that are designed to look like he just grabbed them, uh, and yet they're very, very uh, uh, spectacularly um, composed in a, you know, an ordinary way, and um, they 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 do demonstrate his ability to understand the mundane in a way and recreate it in a way that that gives us a, a, a different look, and it's expressive in that way. Also worth uh, looking at. Um, Another, uh, in, in a totally different, um, way, there's, there's a, a, a photographer here, um, Linda Miles. She's local. She were, she, she actually lived very close to my last residence. And, and she, uh, she did a false biography, or maybe it's a real biography, but she, she actually commissioned writers. Um, they wrote her narrative from her descriptive uh, and you know so she created a screenplay and then she got actors um, to play family members and documented her life with actors as told through a narrative that she constructed based on her own reality um, and uh, I find her work to be pretty uh, accomplished um, both in terms of its aesthetic, uh, its formalism, its mood, and and her ability to really um, f find the right moments um, and direction of of actors, um, and and you know in that way I think that her her work is is different than Alex Prager, who uh, you know we can talk about also who does. Uh, a more Hollywoody version of it, um, in my view, um, cooler version of it, a uh, more elaborate version of it, technically uh, astoundingly beautiful. Um, and there's always that tension between emotion and technical virtuosity, which, which uh, we tend to try to balance as photographers um, so that um, these things are not overwhelming um, by technique, because if they are, it becomes kind of production seduction, and I think robs the emotive quality. Um, and I think that's a really good mm -hmm. point because that, yeah, that that piece of work there, it's some of it is is looks quite professional, and other bits of it you know, look very homemade, you know, deliberately so and designed that way. Uh, and uh, when I first saw that, I thought, "Oh, yeah, that's that's really that's really clever." It's uh, and uh, picking up on what you said about the emotion of stuff as well. Not not so much about fictional storytelling, but you know, there's something 
something in my brain tells me that a home video needs to look like a home video, right? Yeah, yeah. even when I've been out and we've been traveling as a family or something like that, you know, we get back and I, I wouldn't want it to look like it was shot, you know, on, a, on an Alexa or, or with some kind of Panavision camera or something like that. I just wouldn't want that. Mm-hmm. That explains your obsession with 720p, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Quite possibly, yes. Quite possibly. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Fair enough. Why stop there? Why not 420? But, I but, mean, but then, of course... But, but of, I think you're, you're, you're... Of course, we're, we're conditioned me, you know. to these things, right? We are conditioned to this. We know yeah. what a home movie looks like. So, of course, if, if you are a photographer and you want to recreate that, you know exactly which way to go visually to recreate a certain feeling within people and to just put it in, its, in, in a certain place. I think what you've just said is is absolutely uh, critical to the historical moves of how we respond to images on a technical level, because um, I, I think we look at it at, at an image um, with a sense of expectation, uh, and that expectation uh, is comes from a lot of things. It comes from our own history. It comes from our kind of visual language uh, and, and what we understand. It also comes from the historical norms. Uh, that's why, you know, if you look at pic- highly pixelated 8-bit imagery, um, that evokes an era. It doesn't evoke the 70s. It may evoke the 80s, early 90s. It, um, ditto, if you look at salt prints, it, you know, it evokes a sense of uh, mid-19th century. It doesn't evoke the late 20th century. Um, so I think that technique ties itself often uh, to eras. And it's the eras that if we seek to imagine images within our own history, we can draw parallels into the techniques that we uh, choose to master, recreate, uh, and emulate. Um, so moving along before we kind of really get into an open discussion <laughs> here, uh, there, there, <laughs> uh, Kevin Moore is somebody I really like. Um, Jeff Wall is someone who I've been fascinated for many, many years. Uh, his work, again, feels like uh, snapshots of just throwaway cameras, except they're, uh, I think they're 8x10s. They're massive <laughs> prints, if anybody's ever seen these. I mean, they're, you know, they're 100 inches wider to you know 220 by 275 centimeters for those of of you in foreign countries um but they they are snapshots done in 8 by 10 style and uh, just be, because of that they they have a different feeling um and it's that feeling uh that it's it's the tension between I don't know how can I describe it the the massiveness the sharpness and the subject and the familiarity of an image that we may have seen together uh in our kind of home home shots that are that are kind of um cr- create something new in in and, our and it um, and and it creates confusion if you see that familiar thing but it is a uh, print that's as big as a wall. I mean, that just... Yeah. 
makes yeah, things different and it doesn't doesn't fulfill our expectations because we'll be used to like four by six prints and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, how do you guys feel about these kinds of 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 works? Like if you if you took your own imagery and was able to were able to kind of recreate that sharpness and, and size, how do you think it would change uh, the response? I, I, th I think it, I think it would I probably, I, I feel like I'd be more likely to win a fine art prize of some sort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why I feel like that, but you know, it's, you know, sometimes in the olden days when you could go to galleries, you know, you could, you'd go sometimes and see, uh you know sets of prints that have won awards or something like that and you'd think okay yeah so yeah it, it, I, i'm not sure that i like the photography so so in what way is it impressed the judges and how and sometimes it feels like the technique and the struggle is, is something that has that has impressed the judges sometimes it's the the subject matter so although mm. the The, although the um, uh, the maybe they would the, the images may not be aesthetically pleasing, uh, particularly or even or tell a story, um, they they are they are of impact because perhaps they 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 are of a, a particular place. I remember mm. one time this is some years back uh, there was a set of images um, that came from uh, that were shot in the Maze Prison in Northern Ireland. Which, which was uh, very famous in the Troubles. And the, the, the prize winner had taken, I think, an 8x10 camera. And, and I believe the, pre the prison is now, or the part, that part of the prison is now disused. Not derelict, but disused. And so you've got a lot of empty spaces, a lot of use of negative space in these images. And I, I remember looking at it and thinking, I don't really like these photographs. But then you have then then come the 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 afterthought, of course, is is the context of it all, the yeah. place they were taken, what you know about them, what I used to see on the television news as a child, mm. you know, about hunger strikes and oh, uh, yeah. and things like that. And you know, that, so I th there's definitely a. Um, Uh, a, a weight that comes I think with these it, things, like I think. those Santa Barbara images just from before like that that lady's whole story of um, coming from Eastern Europe and like Santa Barbara being the first thing that they saw on TV her mother taking them away in the middle of the night all of that kind of feeds into the and if you don't know that when you see the image would it have the same Well, that's true. Resonance. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I, yeah, that, I think it's a similar point. Thank mm. you, Ian, because that's probably a, a, a tighter way of trying to make the point that I was trying to make. Thanks for helping me out. Yeah, But the, like, it, I think, yeah, there's a gravitas that comes with knowing the background and knowing the context and knowing the story. There's, there's something, yeah. the images themselves, yeah, sometimes you know, they need help. It, it changes something if, it, if, if you're put at the beginning of a movie, this is based on a true story, even if it isn't, see... I don't know, the Blair Witch Project or something. It changes your perception of it. It does do something sets to how expectations. you... Yeah, it sets an expectation. Yeah. So, absolutely. I mean, one of the last exhibits I, I saw here at Peter Fetterman's gallery, there was uh, a woman who went to Auschwitz 
Um, she's a descendant of survivors and, and photographed in raw black and white just what she saw there. At the end. And one of the most profound images, it's just a shot of a wall with scratch marks on it. Mm. That's all. So if you just saw this picture leafing through with no context, mm. you'd think, well, what is it? It just looks like somebody took a stone or something to a, mm. to a wall until, uh, you realize that it was people nails on the wall as they were dying. And so now the picture is intensely profound because it's just there. So context in that way really is, mm -hmm. is a tremendous shifter of how we respond mm -hmm. to images. And if we look at, you know, going back to something more humorous, if you look at the, the Jeff wall pictures, um, small on your computer on your phone you could you could chuckle you know a because you're responding to the subject um but they don't have the same profound impact as when you see it in a gallery presented that way which takes a sort of mundane snapshot approach yeah a good picture um and and blows it up so that as if to say these random moments that we find on, on, you know, in our life around us, surrounding us, uh, are much more appreciate them more. They're mm. bigger than what they appear to be. And, mm. and if, if, if that's the uh, intention, I think he succeeds once that's, we that's see really interesting because that that's mm. life, isn't it? Right. So the things that you do day by day collectively, they make up your life. Yeah. So, you know, there's something, you know, some, some mundane stuff. We, we have a, a collection of, of, uh, of family photos from when my kids were preschool age. Um, and it's just day to day stuff. We went to the park. We did this, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and it, it, it has, I mean, it wouldn't strike a chord necessarily for anybody outside of our family, mm -hmm. but, 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 it, it does for us and we keep going years later we keep going back to it and keep going back to it and looking at it and it's fun mm. you know and yeah it's, I, it's, I it's, it's really interesting stuff so because yeah. you know the, we're talking a lot about uh i know about about real events um yeah and yeah we've come here and and you know it seems like quite a, a getting on towards what i guess for us is a deep conversation but the mm. uh yeah you know, we, we came at this from the fictional side mm. Yeah. Uh, and These I wonder are all if we fictions. should ask, do, do we, do we know when we know things are fictional, can it have the same impact as something that we know is real? Is, is, well, is it even possible? Well, that, that often depends on the photographer and how you set the narrative. I mean, the last two, uh, photographers that I wanted to talk about, um, both use themselves or, you know, I, I, I will mention Gregory Crutzen. Um, It'd be rude because, not to in this context. <laughs> yeah, because technically Gregory Crutzen's uh, photographs are very much like film stills. They're approached in the same way. They're shot in the same way. Uh, I don't even think he touches a camera anymore, uh, but he works with a large crew. They scout, they build, they cast, they light. Uh, these are very, very expensive uh, pictures to to, to make uh, like them or not in terms of um, how they kind of uh, evoke uh, that mood. Um, they are uh, very well done and very, very large. Again, 
do they have the same impact on your phone? I don't think so. No, but no, no, no. seen in a gallery, uh, you know, 10 feet, they, they certainly are representative of something. Uh, Can I the- ask you a question, though? Because mm. I think I think Crudson falls into a slightly different category for me, because al- although his work is, uh, it, it challenges the brain, it stimulates the brain. Um, I don't think he's telling stories. And, and I have, it's, it's a question I had coming into this conversation, which is that can, can a single image tell a story, right? Can, it can prompt a story in your head, perhaps. But, but, and, and, and I think the answer, I think the answer for some of these is, is, is yes. A sing, a single image can tell a story. Some do. Some, some do. Some yeah. I, I, for me personally, I find it very rare. It's, it's one of those things that people talk about a lot. And, and I don't know, maybe I'm just, less imaginative than some but for, for me crudson's not telling stories he's he's poking our brains with a stick isn't he i don't know it depends i mean some of his work when you see um say 10 images from a, a specific folio in a specific house um or area they do evoke a kind of document of a family of of an individual's loneliness of the uh, kind of sense of uh, despair in many ways. Um, so so I, I think his his work does uh, provoke that. Not all of them, but but seen um, in a unified folio, I think that, that you would definitely say it's a story. And, and is that as a series of images or as a single image? Well, I think most of them are from a series, yeah. yeah but, uh, you know, I, these are just demonstrated of, of, of single images. I mean, there are two uh, final photographers. I'll talk about Cindy Sherman, who uses herself to model. I don't know if it's much of a story or a narrative, but seen together, it's kind of an imagined narrative of history told through her own uh, changed or manipulated um uh, face. Mm. Uh, Kevin Moore's is along the same lines, but um, different. I mean, these are both sort of biographical in different ways, one reaching out to a larger sense of history. And Kevin Moore, there we are on screen. Uh, his work is, is again, it looks kind of random. It looks kind of snap shot what but these are carefully constructed and very very artfully done to provoke uh an image of say alienation or or mood um and well worth looking at his his work is very powerful uh Mm. considering they they are all personal and they're all about him um so you know that that's you know that's my overview of of what is possible um uh to 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 utilize in photography is is to utilize its insistence often of of being truthful uh and we can open that truthiness um to expressions of <laughs> of of our own desires of what we wish were true of which we hope are true uh of of which we're recreating uh, the truth that we remember. Um, all of these are, are really strong tools that in painting, for example, or even in filmmaking, I don't think you achieve the same thing. But in photography, that capability is profound. Well said. Please. <laughs> <laughs> thank, 
Yes, thank you. This is okay. So, so, so there's a lot in this episode. Um, there will be all the links will be in the show notes. So, um, yeah. And by the mm -hmm. way, Adrian puts these together every week for you. And oh, so. the show notes. Ah, yes, the right. show notes. Yeah, so, yeah. There's plenty. <clears> to, actually, there's going to be lots of stuff for this week because mm -hmm. you missed Jerry the show Rice notes. Yeah. A great bit of great, great bit of research. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. Definitely. So let's see. We are, uh, we have arrived at our picks of the week. I'm just opening a couple of links here, and uh, we start with Imar. We haven't heard you in a while. So, um, what is your pick? Of uh, the week? I think that one of the most interesting things I kind of discovered in um, looking up all that stuff that Jeremiah put into our heads was that um, kind of assume that. Um, sort of manipulation of photographs uh, is a, a more modern phenomenon, but really it isn't at all. So people have been doing it forever. But um, this guy, Jerry Uselman, his stuff's amazing. He It's all done on film. So he's got like six enlargers, an old man now, but a really fascinating character. Oh, um, yeah. And he actually exposes each piece of of the photograph separately under a different enlarger. Oh, he's doing composites. Oh, I see. Yes. And constructs these from it. And I just think they're incredible. And yeah. It's funny when I was beginning, Emer, mm. uh, when I was starting out as a photographer, I, I, I spent a lot of time um, studying his work, Gilsman, and, and uh, was sort of captivated by it, but I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't oh. like it because it worked against everything I wanted to do in photography. Okay. It just felt. But at, now I have a completely different appreciation of, of his work completely since I've kind of come out the other end in photography. But when I was, you know, obsessed with just taking a That's camera out on the street, I thought, oh, this is mm. just crazy. But... Uh, I think you're right. He is okay. I'm I'm outing myself. I'm I didn't just even captivated know he by these, and now I really want no, to try I'm, I'm some compositing. The well, They're actually. fabulous. No. Yeah. Great stuff. Good stuff. All right, um, Adrian. How about yours? Well, uh, this uh, my pick of the week. Uh, this week, actually, I, I'm pleased to be able to say this. This is somebody I know uh, and a, a friend, I guess, in the podcasting sense. Uh, so, my pick this week is the, is the work of Claire Marie Bailey. Uh, she is uh, she's a member of the the Sunny Sixteen podcast crew. Actually, um, she and she does. Um, These are great. She yeah, does a, a, I'm, I've, I'm, seen the, I've seen her work. Yeah, yeah I I'm think, sure. I'm yeah. sure I've mentioned it before. I think, to be yeah. honest. Oh, yeah, um, but but it just fits today mm -hmm. really well, so I'm very happy to be able to to reshare this. So, so Claire is heavily influenced by things like B movies of the 1960s. <laughs> She's a real film buff, and she yeah, and 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 she, that is reflected in her photography, uh, which she does uh, off, often with you know sort of faded and expired mm -hmm. Polaroid film and things like that. So. You know, it's 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 your classic. Um, yeah, it, it, well, it, it, I, for me, this this really is fictional storytelling in photography. Mm. You know, it's about an, uh, whether it, you consider it an alter ego or, or whether you consider it uh, entirely distanced and fictional. I think it's fantastic work. And hi, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> cool. You first. 
All right. <clears throat> I have found something. Yep, I'm 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 picking this up here. Um I found something that has nothing to do with this episode whatsoever, but it certainly has to do something uh with the future of photography and um you might be aware of a brand called Edelkrone or Edelkrone which is a, a kind of fa fancy brand for sliders and like for videographers and photographers would use their stuff like fancy tripod heads and fancy uh, stuff. It's also not very cheap, um, quite pricey. And um, they have not invented, but they are employing for some of their products a, a, an interesting manufacturing concept. So um, here is one example. They have a like a special uh, head that lets you tilt your camera and turn it around on the tripod, and it's called the Flex Tilt. And if you buy this in the United States, it's $149. But if you are one of those people who have a 3D printer, you can buy the metal pieces of that for $29 and then you print the rest. And they have four products that do that. So the critical parts, like the parts where things have to be in, at, in good tolerances and the, the, the way they slide on each other has to be precise. That's the parts that you buy from them and the rest... Um, yeah, you print yourself and then you end up with a, a product that you can customize in terms of the color and maybe even customize the geometry of other parts, but uh, the basic parts are theirs. Awesome. And they call that co-manufacturing. Yep. Um, and it's four products, but it's four interesting products and for $29 plus some filament and some of your time, you can print your own product. So that's my wow. interesting. contribution. Mm -hmm for today and uh, last but not least jeremiah um i thought i would be very self-aggrandizing today and <laughs> and uh, uh my pick of the week is is uh my website um there we go and I, I um i would go to uh, go to the corner there and go to um digital art digital art and choose the folio on the great war because I think that will be more um, focused on what we're doing here. Um, these are invented images. Uh, they are taken from video games. Um, they're manipulated. Um, they're highly manipulated to evoke the feeling and mood of what it must have been like in combat during the Great War. Obviously, taking pictures like this in 1914 was pretty well impossible. <laughs> but you don't think of that when you look at these things. Um, so again, this is an invented uh, history uh, drawn from real history. Um, but it, the expression is, is one that's focused on evoking the mood and feel of real combat. Mm -hmm. Great, great images. I, I've got to have to ask you: Have you got any in color? Because there's a, you know, as we record this, there's been some internet angst in in recent weeks about colorizing of old photos, hasn't there? Um, I, no, I no, you know, you I, know what? You you should you should take some of those and colorize them, not shoot them in color, but <coughs> colorize them mm, after the fact. Mm, mm, mm. Well, it's interesting that you say that because, uh, A, I'm in the process of exploring <laughs> the neur neural Photoshop coloring mm -hmm. aspect of, of 
you know, what they are capable of. But I've yeah. been doing it with uh, with my real photography or my camera work, which one could see if you go up to that little thing. There's uh, there's the you know digital work, and then there's the uh, camera work. Um, the camera work, LA Water, for example, um, or that, that these are good. These are these are images uh, of the desert. Um, but taking pictures with my Leica monochrome bringing them into Photoshop and then adding color to them. Um, <laughs> and I'll, you know, I'll showcase a few when, when I feel I've gotten control over the process. Sometimes it's just too good. In other words, what I found is, yeah, it just looks like a boring color photograph. What the hell am I doing? You know, I could have shot it in color. But, but to adjust the kind of tonality so that it has that, I don't know, autochrome, faded, whatever... Uh, manipulated colors uh, attract me. Uh, that that's on the horizon. So, uh, in fact, I may not do it to the digital images because I've so run from the color there, uh, because they tend to make it look more realistic in a way, less abstract. Uh, I think that the black and white feels more grounded in our expectations of what a document would be what feel like but in some of the aesthetic stuff that i'm doing the more studied stuff then i would i'm, I'm definitely interested in blending a pure black and white image with and then comes color. peter jackson and takes world war one footage and uh, blows it up to 4k colorizes, and colorizes yeah, it and, was, and 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 re um, um and, and puts new sound on it and i mean yeah so there's a that, lot of that was pretty good. I have a lot of lines blending, a lot of uh, layers blending yeah, there. I, Very meta. And, and that's the future. That is the future of our medium in so many ways of what we can expect soon. Probably um, to be able to do. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> All right. Um, I think that's it for today. Thank you very much for your time and. Uh, We'll be back in a week. Until then, you can contact us on Twitter at TFOPNow, on Insta at TFOPNow. We have our Discord that is alive and kicking with uh, photography and showcases and things. Um, I think a, a few gerbils have now moved in into our <laughs> yeah, Discord. Yeah, we're, 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 we're having a... Uh, yes, we're definitely having a rodent appreciation time in, in the <laughs> It's rodent appreciation <laughs> month. It's not, just, it's not just gerbils, yeah. It's the other, other rodents are squirrels. available. Squirrels yeah. Involved, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, if you want to find out more, go to tfttf.com slash join tfop. It's on the screen and in the show notes as well. And of course, all our other episodes are wherever you find your podcasts and on thefutureofphotography.com. Until next time, everyone, take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Future of Photography, A production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. Bye.